Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply Hello, welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport live from Wembley with me, Sam Matterface, the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis and TalkSport's Alex Crook as Liverpool set up another cup final with Chelsea Robertson delivers the ball deep to the far post Canate with the header and it's in and down the right hand side of the area for Havertz who can't get an effective crossing it's volleyed in though from the to the penalty area. What a strike that is by Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Very high. Oh, what a mistake by Stefan. He's been dispossessed inside the six-yard box and Sadio Mane has rammed it home. Manchester City can't live with Liverpool. It's back out to the right edge of the area. What a goal by Sadio Mane on the volley. It's Liverpool 3, Manchester City 0. Werner inside the area. It's Mason Mountain. It's 2-0 Chelsea. And yet another FA Cup final. He's surely there's a fifth. In six years, Palace nil, Chelsea two, and in a repeat of the League Cup final, it will be Chelsea against Liverpool in the FA Cup final. Well, we're in the press room uh, with Darren Lewis after Sunday's semi-final of the FA Cup and Chelsea sealed their place in the FA Cup final for the third successive year with a victory on Sunday against Crystal Palace. And Darren, it was a completely different game to Sunday's match, wasn't it? I thought I thought Patrick Vieira made the right choice in matching up yep. Chelsea, to be honest with you. I know he's coming for a little bit of criticism for doing that, but for large parts of the game it seemed to work. I wasn't sure about the changes once Chelsea made the breakthrough mm. but I thought initially he set up the right way I think he did I thought in the first half they really took it to Chelsea I thought they had a lot of energy enthusiasm um, I thought Gwaii was the best player on the pitch I like the energy in midfield I like the industry in midfield in, in, more importantly and I didn't really see and I know Palace have had a bit of stick um, because they didn't land a blow but that's because they didn't really have any cutting edge in the final third mm. but I think in every other area of the pitch they really did show themselves to be not to be inferior to Chelsea and I was quite impressed actually with the way they went about their business I don't share this criticism that people have towards uh, Vieira listen they're up against the defending obviously they're out of the Champions League now but they're a side with a deeper squad more firepower more cutting edge more creativity technical superiority the fact that Chelsea, uh, that Palace were able to hold their own against Chelsea I think really does underline the job that Vieira has done and I can't have that he deserves any criticism whatsoever No, I mean it, obviously once they go go behind, and obviously it would have been very different if Kuyate had scored in the yeah, first half and Mendy makes a, a big save actually, a key point in the first half but it, once Chelsea do go in front, it was a slight slip from uh, Tyreek Mitchell, Athpili Kuwaita does well yeah. to put pressure on him and then when the ball breaks into midfield Loftus-Cheek gets a great hit on the ball, yeah. takes a deflection which takes to be on the Butland anyway but if you look at what happened afterwards obviously they had to make a decision yeah. to go for it so we brought on a lot of attacking players and yeah. you can understand that because obviously it's a semi-final you're chasing the game Absolutely. that means it gets more open Chelsea have more chances and actually they probably should have put more away than they did yeah I mean listen once Palace conceded ultimately they were the game was going to open up and Chelsea are very very good at taking advantage when you make mistakes particularly if you are a side with inferior firepower and that's what happened Palace were playing under pressure and Chelsea know how to exploit that pressure I really did like the performance of Lostas Cheek I was at a press conference on Friday where um, Thomas Tuchel was saying look he needs to have more confidence in himself he can't just do it once or twice Southampton Real Madrid that's gone he needs to do it again and again and again and he did it mm. again today scored a wonderful goal but out of possession he was good in possession he was impressive I 
he is somebody now who is now forcing himself back into the consciousness. We started today, you know, Sam, here at Wembley, talking about Conor Gallagher, an England player, potentially, um, who wasn't going to play. We've ended it talking about an England player who could now force his way back into the picture yeah. with his goals, with his consistency, with his ability to draw other players into the picture. I really did like what he did. I loved Timo Werner's performance. He too has had a bit of stick, Sam, but I, you know, an assist on this occasion. Lukaku should have scored from his ball across yeah. the box in the final. Oh, goodness me, what can you say about Lukaku? <laughs> we'll get to him in just a second. But you're right about Werner. He was excellent. Loftus-Cheek taking his chance off the bench. I think he was disappointed. We spoke to him afterwards that he didn't actually start the game because he yeah. played very well in, in Madrid as well. It was his first Chelsea goal since the semi-final of the Europa League mm. against Eintracht Frankfurt in 2019. It's three years yeah. since the last time that he scored. He's 26 now. He's had injuries galore. He's had some indifferent loan spells away from the club. But Tuchel appears to be coaxing a little bit of form out of him, doesn't he? I mean, you know, he's his 32nd appearance of the season. That's, that's quite a number, really, for him. Impressive for him. I, I think he has more confidence in his body. I feel that he's got somebody in Tuchel who he believes in and Tuchel believes in him as well and I think as far as Loftus-Cheek is concerned I think that confidence will start to grow I think that we'll start to see a different player Tuchel doesn't get hung up on individual performances he wants to see it on a regular basis and I think that listen you and I have seen so much football Sam we both know that when players feel loved they produce when players are confident about their body's ability to hold up they produce and I think Loftus-Cheek has both of those things okay so are you saying then in that same sentence that Romelu Lukaku is not feeling the love (laughs) I don't think he is I think that he is a player listen I, I To be fair to to Tuchel, he is a guy who's very honest. And I remember after the Lille game, Havertz played really well Champions League, Stamford Bridge, and we asked Tuchel about Lukaku, about Havertz in relation to Lukaku. Now, another manager would probably have used coded language and maybe even ducked out of answering the question. But he doesn't do that, does he? He's pretty straight. Absolutely. He's very straight. And he said, look, he provided what Lukaku doesn't at the moment. He runs, he works, he chases back, he gets involved in a combination play. He does all the things we are not getting from uh, Lukaku at the moment. And it's when we get that from Lukaku that he will be the kind of striker we want. And if you're not providing that kind of thing, Sam... When you do, if you are just focused on what you do in the box, if you're a Lukaku, you have to do the kind of thing that Karim Benzema does mm. for Real Madrid. You get one chance, you take it. Today, he had that chance here at Wembley. He blew it. He hit the post. Now, either he is the unluckiest striker in the world or... Something's not right. Something's not right. Because in the first leg of the Champions League semi-final, again, you know, he did get those chances towards the end yeah. of the game when he came come off the bench. And whereas Benzema had scored his snatch chances... Lukaku misdirected his headers and then today as well you know it's hard to hit that post from from that centred ball by Werner isn't it I mean it's not easy he still managed to do it it was great. And, and, and that must sort of hit his confidence because if he'd come on today, mm. scored a goal which yeah. clinched a place in the FA Cup final, yeah, the next few weeks he's probably going to be buzzed up and ready to go. But the fact that it's gone against him again, it's just another knockback for him which is going to dent his, his confidence. And he is a, he's a fragile lad behind he the is. facade. He is. Uh, listen, he's not getting any younger. I think he now needs to, it's going to be a big summer for him because he wants to go to the World Cup. And if he goes, he's going to want to go in the, with his confidence sky high. He doesn't want to go under a cloud. Rob, Roberto Martinez has been saying this. It's a big summer for Lukaku. Yeah. He's got to decide what he wants to do. Because if he leaves now, right, if he leaves Chelsea now and goes to, I don't know, a club in Italy mm. or a club in Spain or mm. wherever else he goes, that is going to be the end of a Premier League career for him and he's going to be labelled as a Premier League flop he's going to be someone who did it on the continent but didn't do it in the biggest league of them all yeah you could say that but if you think about uh, I'll give you another example Sebastian Haller couldn't score goals to save his life at West Ham gone to Ajax scoring goals for fun Mm. and once you do that okay, you might have the Premier League at the back of your mind but we all in this football industry work in the here and now and if he's scoring goals for whatever club he were to move to in the, sec- in, in, in the next season, he goes to the World Cup. 
in a vein of confidence that allows him to perform but it's not the same level. is it? Is it scoring goals for Ajax it's not the same as scoring goals for Chelsea or Man United or, or, or someone at the top of the, the La Liga like Barcelona or Real Madrid I spoke to Sebastian Haller what three weeks ago for another broadcaster and you know let me tell you there was nothing wrong with his confidence you know he wasn't worrying about what happened at West Ham you know he said look it wasn't a great time in my life the football didn't suit me the circumstances didn't suit me but I feel good and I think that's what's most important for any player. You have to be able to feel good when you get out onto the pitch. So do you think that Lukaku should and will leave Chelsea at the end of the season? Because yes. it's going to be really difficult for someone to prize him away in terms of the financial package that's going to be required, isn't it? It's a good question. And I think that it might well be that he may have to take a little bit of a pay cut. He might have to compromise in some way, shape or form. But what I happened think... to all this I'm coming home stuff, though? No, it's not worked out. It's... Listen, you're, you're a Chelsea fan, as you know. Chelsea do not play the way Lukaku wants no, to No, that's true. And I mean, you can even see that today. They're just not in tune with him, are they? No. And if you look at the top three sides, well, certainly the top twos, there's a fluidity about the way that yeah. they play. They don't play with a point man. They're like symbiotic, aren't they? They're all part of the same machine. Absolutely. And I think as far as City are concerned, yes, they might buy a striker, but I don't. I think that might well be a plan B. Mm. But I don't think that is gonna. there's going to be any less fluidity about the way that they play. And Chelsea are a side who won the ultimate club prize in European football last season playing with a false knight not with a point man so as far as Lukaku is concerned they have a decision to make about him and he has a decision to make about them yeah interesting to see what happens with Romelu uh, Lukaku um, obviously Chelsea's squad depth so much greater than Crystal Palace's and you look at the benches and uh, you can see that for sure I mean Lise came off he was brilliant I thought I, I think he's a brilliant player and he's going to be it's such a shame he wasn't at full fitness today and Conor Gallagher couldn't play as well might have been a different match maybe in the first half you never know but Chelsea eventually their quality told but we're having a discussion Martin Tyler and I upstairs right off on the gantry in which we were talking <laughs> about <laughs> we were talking about the change and Martin's bill on the fact that you know the change of football mm. what it's going to be like when five substitutes are allowed every week yeah. because you know a club like Chelsea Manchester City mm. Liverpool are going to have such a breadth of talent available to them that the, the sides like Crystal Palace who have got close to, to you know knocking a few out this season they you know, drew with Manchester City yes. and beat Manchester City they've beaten Arsenal yeah. they've beaten Everton and Tottenham this season as well you know they're not going to have those days as often. No, they're not. Well, there's uh, a danger they're not going to have those days. As because often. essentially, what you're able to do, particularly if you're a big club, is change half the team. Yeah. Now, so you can beat. Uh, you know, you've got situations where players can have a European game, if you like, on a, a Tuesday, and they can play a, a strong first eleven, and then you know, basically, you shattered your team at the lower end of the Premier League, and suddenly. Just like we saw here, they're bringing on Ziyech, they're bringing on Kante. Bringing on Lukaku. They're bringing on Lukaku, a £100 million striker. You're just thinking, what is going on here? And we all know why it's happening, because this is another sop to appease the biggest clubs in the Premier League. Do you think it's that, or do you think it's the coaches? The coaches want more ability to... to, Wenger's at at FIFA, he's sort of helping drive it as well. Is it the coaches that want to have more ability to change in game, to tinker a bit, to get involved, to make it a tactical match? Uh, No, no, I just think that this is... We all know the way football works. I could sit here and be diplomatic and say, actually, it's about the coaches, but it's about the biggest clubs wanting, you know... If you can rest half your team or win a game and then bring on five players, that is half your team ahead of a European game, particularly if you're one of the biggest clubs with a congested fixture list. I mean, if you think about Liverpool, Liverpool have played every possible game they could play so far this season. Chelsea have played more games than anybody, haven't they? I mean, those two teams have played the most games and they've got another fixture together now. Exactly. And, And so if you've got the chance every game to change half your team, you get the chance to rest half your team. Look at the difference between Liverpool yesterday and Manchester City. Seven changes for Liverpool in midweek against Benfica. So you look at how fresh they were against City. That's the kind of advantage. But I'm worried, and I wonder if you were worried, that eventually it turns into basketball or uh, NFL, where just roll-on, roll-off substitutes at any given time. Well, that could well be the case, but... Listen, again, let's not kid ourselves. The biggest clubs are angling. They're scratching at the door 
to help go and create their own competition. So more and more... They might create their own game, the way where things are going. (laughs) No one's allowed to tackle them. You can have 20 substitutes. The change in in the number of substitutes is a move towards their own game. It's working the way they want it to. You know, as we both know, 14 of the top uh, of the 20 Premier League clubs have to vote these changes in. And um, what can the likes of your Burnleys and your West Ham's do when the biggest clubs decide one thing and the other clubs go along with them? Well, talking of Burnley West Ham, we should probably touch on uh, the other games on Sunday. Quickly um, looking at that match, 1-1 the score. Uh, Veghorst put Burnley in front. Suchek um, managed to uh, claw one back for West Ham United. But the story around the game actually, I mean, obviously Burnley delighted to get a point, although that's probably not great for them going forward although they've still got some winnable football matches but the story was actually about Ashley Westwood who picked up a horrific Mm. ankle injury yeah and I think the scenes around that were horrendous players in tears um, coaching staff in tears it became apparent very quickly that the nature of the injury was not a a run-of-the-mill one minute stoppage wasn't it yeah yeah and I think um, in moments like that football becomes secondary as we all know um, and everyone's just hoping that he's okay um, we haven't had a, we're, we're at Wembley as we're recording this yeah. so we don't know what the update is as yet but we, uh, clearly we hope <coughs> that he is okay um, it's, it's quite ironic actually because after the injury Burnley took the lead mm. so uh, it, clearly the players were able to focus on the football but I, I just wonder if as the game wore on the impact of what they'd seen had affected them I mean they blew a penalty didn't they in, in, in injury time yeah. and then Nick uh, Pope played really well actually in the Pope game and he, well. he, he but then West great Ham, saves but then West Ham equalised in the second half um, and so they shared the points which doesn't really help Burnley at all look ultimately Sam I think they will go down they can't defend they don't score enough goals and if you circle the drain long enough you end up going down <laughs> OK the other game was Newcastle they're not going down 37 points uh, 6 games to go um, stoppage time winner from Bruno Guimaraes who ripped his shirt off I thought when he ran away celebrating he was going to take his shorts off as well <laughs> which wouldn't have been a good thing uh, but he, he it was a brilliant header actually he threw himself at it and it arrowed into the top <laughs> corner it was a great sight actually um, what a feeling what a game said Eddie Howe afterwards he, he, he loved it and I think uh, Bruno Guimaraes saying it's always a, a dream to play in the Premier League and he's made an impact now Do you know the wonderful thing about Guimaraes is that he cost a lot of money and he has come into the Newcastle team and straight away embraced English football not just the challenge of playing for Newcastle but the challenge of playing in the English league and it's been so impressive to watch because he hasn't just scored goals he's worked hard he's worked for his teammates he's not just put himself first He's embraced the club, everything that the club stands for. He's embraced working for Eddie Howe, who I'm not too sure he would have known too much about before he went to the club. And he is somebody who's really enhancing what was a big reputation before he came to the club. He's really enhanced it with the manner that he's gone about his business since he's signed for them. Yeah, but his Leon team haven't done too badly. I mean, they went out of the Europa League at, uh, yeah, on Thursday, but... They won 6-1 against Bordeaux at the weekend. So they've obviously bounced back from that disappointment for West Ham. Uh, Listen, it's been great to see you. you Thank you very much. Um, We've done this together. This is nice. No no Zoom. What's happening? You're even better looking up close. Stop it. You know I've complimented (laughs) you on your suit today and your your attire. Uh, Is that because you're doing a CNN bulletin at 10 o'clock? I'm about to go and do one. Yes, I thought you might be. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. 
Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. And the podcast coming live from Wembley this week because, of course, it was FA Cup semi-final weekend. So let's start with uh, what was an absolutely thrilling game on Saturday. Jurgen Klopp told me afterwards that uh, he witnessed one of Liverpool's best first-half performances in his time as the Reds' manager. Um, During that FA Cup semi-final over Manchester City, they absolutely blitzed in the first half. Um, they came flying out the blocks. Ibrahim Akanate got the uh, first goal from a header from the first corner of the game. Sadio Mane caught out Zach Steffen, not once, but twice. The third goal was a brilliant goal. The second one was an aberration. Um, but it certainly left Pep with some questions. Yeah, but um, I wasn't surprised uh, with the way the first half went. OK, I'm surprised Liverpool stormed into a 3-0 lead. We didn't expect that, but we said uh, in the preview podcast that it was Liverpool's to win because they'd had a much easier assignment in Europe than Manchester City. And I think that came to pass. And I was listening to your build-up on TalkSport. Trevor Sinclair was worried about the back five. He said, I'm not worried about the goalkeeper. That was his first mistake because it was, <laughs> as you say, absolutely terrible piece of play from him. And I know you debated the whys and wherefores on TalkSport, but I've never been a fan of playing your cup goalkeeper in a Wembley semi-final or a final. I think once you get that far, you're at the business end of the tournament, you play your best team, you try and win the game. The goalkeeper doesn't need a rest. I think that's come back to haunt him. I think it actually exposes as well some of the big money signings that Manchester City have made that maybe haven't come off the likes of Nathan Ake, uh, hasn't really stepped up to the plate as I would have expected him to. But take nothing away from Liverpool. Uh, They set about City early on. They knew that they might be vulnerable physically and mentally. They seized upon that. Third game in a row that Canate has scored a header, I think, yeah. home and away against Benfica. So they should have uh, heeded those warnings. Mistake from Stefan for the second. The third goal, not just the finish, but the move from brilliant. Liverpool as well was superb. Absolutely brilliant. And I don't think anyone was shocked that Liverpool won the game. In fact, I thought it was pretty obvious that they were going to. And I think I sent you a text message at half-time saying that. But I think it was the manner of the approach, the supreme intensity. I mean, they pressed them so high. They squeezed them so so intensely that City just wilted under the pressure and, and once Stefan makes the mistake you know the game is almost almost impossible to claw back although they almost did I mean it leaves Pep with the questions I mentioned that he would have things to answer why didn't they turn up in the first half and why didn't they make substitutions before the 81st minute when they were chasing the game because actually despite getting back into the game just after half time with Grealish's goal they didn't really force the issue until really late on in injury time. Yeah, and they had chances then, didn't they? Allison yeah. showing his worth. So, yeah, I think you're right. It wasn't a faultless performance from Pep by any stretch of the imagination. And you wonder psychologically, could this have a knock-on effect now? Because what it means is that Liverpool have met Manchester City three times. They're undefeated. They've beaten them in the big semi-final. They'll probably meet again in the Champions League final. They're still going to toe-to-toe for the Premier League. Could this have knock-on effects for the other two trophies this season. He said it won't affect us. I spoke to him in the tunnel last night and uh, he said it won't affect us. I'm not sure about that because if you go into a Champions League final and you're playing a side that have drawn with you twice and beaten you at Wembley, that will have an effect. Yeah, it will do because like, I mean, that, you should have seen the reaction on their faces when they were being pressed like Liverpool were ironing the creases off a shell suit. It was, it was almost impossible to get out of. It was, it was smothering. And it's ironic, isn't it, that Jurgen Klopp has been accused of not taking the domestic cup competition seriously since he arrived at Anfield. They've won the EFL Cup. They're in the final for the FA Cup. They'll be the favourites to lift that trophy. And they're still on for this remarkable quadruple. Clearly, I'm hoping and praying that that doesn't happen. It would be historic, though, wouldn't it? And I spoke to him in the tunnel afterwards, Jurgen Klopp, and he was... I said to me, you're at that point now where you can't avoid talking about it because it's realistic. I mean, it's 12 games. They win all 12 games. The likelihood is that they, they, they could do it. And it does uh, bear similarities with Manchester United's treble in 99 when they were on this does relentless that hurt even run. More as a yes. Manchester United <laughs> fan? Of course it does. They were on this relentless run uh, competing on three fronts and they played Arsenal in an FA Cup semi-final and beat them quite dramatically. Had that game have gone the other way, 
it might have been Arsenal winning the, the Premier League and FA Cup double and the treble may never have been. So I do think this could be a significant result for Liverpool and Manchester City. I mean, obviously, Pep was already quite vocal and so was Jurgen Klopp about the scheduling of the fixtures at this end of the season. Pep Tough. telling me that uh, so Alex Ferguson complained about it, Jose Mourinho complained about it, Benitez complained about it, Klopp has complained about it, but no one has ever done anything uh, about it. So why would him moaning on Talker Sporter radio, would it change anything? That's what he said to me, uh, which, which I think uh, the powers that be quite liked. Um, but he was in chatty mood after the game, actually, and I think he knew he'd been beaten by the better side yesterday. I think he will put some of it down to the proximity of that game against Atletico in midweek. But it wasn't just that. Obviously, they played Liverpool just prior to that, and they had some big injuries. You know, Kevin De Bruyne couldn't play yesterday. He was on the bench, but that was a psychological thing. Yeah, I'm not necessarily buying into uh, his complaints. I don't remember Sir Alex moaning too much about the scheduling at the back end of that 98-99 season. Correct me, uh, people out there, if I'm wrong. But I do remember straight after the, the first leg of the FA Cup semi-final against Arsenal, I think they had to go and play Juventus in a Champions League semi-final. If you get to this stage of the season and you are competing on multiple fronts, I'm sorry, especially with the squads they've got in the modern era, you can't complain about fixture congestion. It's part and parcel of being successful. The fans love it, the neutrals love it. The players probably love it deep down because they'd rather play than well, train. Well, Andy Robertson loved it because I mean, we spoke to him afterwards as well and he was sort of suggesting that it was, it was, a, it was tiring mentally. He said sometimes it's not even tiring physically. It's actually the mental tiredness that comes about because of the proximity of the fixtures and the, the gravitas of the fixtures, the gravity of the fixtures. They're really, really important games all the way now. So that has its, its mental toll that it takes upon you. But you know, at the same time, he had a massive smile on his face. He was beaming from ear to ear because when you win, you've got that adrenaline buzzing through you and you can't wait to get back on the field of play. And of course, it's not long before they do get back on the field of play. They play Manchester United on Tuesday night and I'll be there for TalkSport. I'm very much looking forward to that game because uh, you know Manchester United in top form at the moment. <laughs> doing very, very well to uh, get past the informed team in the Premier League in Norwich. But we'll talk about that in just a moment. You're right. By the way, you've still got your hair, which I'm very disappointed about. It was a close shave. It was a close... Well, it would have been a closer shave, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, so Liverpool's win keeps their quadruple hopes alive after one of the best FA Cup semi-finals that we've seen although we have seen quite a few brilliant FA Cup semi-finals I mean there was a Wolves-Watford uh, FA Cup semi-final a couple of years ago that was brilliant Chelsea-Tottenham in 2017 was brilliant Hull City versus Sheffield United there was eight goals in that game I was there for that one that was a cracking semi-final but this was pretty damn impressive mainly because it was the two best teams in Europe uh, right now um, so they City will switch their attention to the Premier League they've got Brighton on what night is it? Uh, Wednesday night. It's live on Talk Sports, so we're looking forward uh, to that as well. And they had another great Saturday. We focus once again on the race for the top four. Tottenham at the moment are in the box seat. Spurs have it back inside the area, and it's Romero who was still forward from the original attack, who almost breaks into the penalty area before he's denied. Nodded back in field behind McAllister, and Wafer with a shot, and it's deflected wide. Dunk is forward, one of the targets is in towards the near post, flicked on by Veltman, and it was just behind McAllister. It comes back out, the long range shot is wide in the end from Benton Court. Three Seagulls players inside the penalty area, and it's McAllister who strikes it from the edge of the box, and it whizzes over the top. Now Gross coming forward for Brighton. White to Lamptey down the right, a low shot from him is a comfortable save for Lloris. He comes back onto his right foot, low ball into the six-yard area. Welbeck was waiting, but it's Romero who gets there first, and he heads the ball behind for a corner. Lallana inside the penalty area, back towards Trossard, six yards out, he's done it! Leandro Trossard was surely the winning goal for Brighton, and it's absolutely deserved. And the top four race has yet another twist. Full-time, Tottenham Hotspur nil, Brighton and Hope Albion won. Well, Brighton made another potentially decisive impact on the top four race as they enjoyed another success in North London. They beat Tottenham 1-0 thanks to Leandro Trossard's 90th minute goal. It can't all be down to the fact that Matt Doherty isn't available for Antonio Conte, although the manager was gutted to lose him. I think he will be even more gutted to lose this game uh, against the Premier League's most inaccurate side. Tottenham were flat from the very off. Brighton deserved it from the start. They should have been in front before Trossard came up with what was a dazzling goal. 
Yeah, and can we claim a bit of credit for that goal from Trossard? Because I'm told he is an avid listener of the Game Day podcast. And, of course, we were debating uh, on Thursday the fact that Brighton don't score enough goals from midfield. And he was one of the players that I picked out that needed to show more end products. I think we can claim a a Game Day podcast assist on that one. Uh, But you're dead right. Brighton were were the better team throughout the 90 minutes. Tottenham unusually flat, uh, bearing in mind the, the, the type of form that they've been in in recent weeks scoring goals for fun credit Brighton for that I thought they did a good job defensively stopping the supply line particularly between Son and Kane Kulusevski cut a frustrated figure and perhaps was a bit fortunate to escape a red card if he'd made cleaner contact with that elbow I think, so, I think yeah. he'd have been off yeah. um, it was only because he just sh- shaved the player's nose at Kukurea I think it was that he got away with that one but it's blown up wide open again, isn't it? It seems nobody, uh, particularly those two North London teams, want to finish in the top four. And who'd have thought Brighton would have such a big say at the business end of the season? They play Manchester City in midweek. Mm. Who knows? Live on Talk Sports. So, obviously, there is every chance that they could take advantage of, again, Manchester City suffering from a psychological blow uh, and the FA Cup semi-final. Uh, you were right to mention that Spurs got a little bit frustrated. That Kulisevsky incident was quite narky, really, wasn't it? And Conte was, you know, again, on his usual post-defeat downer. He said his side's last scarf defeat, de- defeat to Brighton will be a good test of their mentality. But they haven't really shown in recent years that they've got a great mentality. Maybe it will be better under him. Yeah, but it's almost like every time a team gets themselves in the box seat for the top four... They blow it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know if that, that's mental, um, if that's a mental issue, but it happened with Arsenal. We'll talk about them in a minute. Three defeats in a row. Suddenly it's up for grabs for Tottenham and they produced that performance at home against a Brighton side who had almost forgotten where the back of the net was before that. Very, very strange result. I'm not sure any of us saw it coming. Nigel Adley spoke to him afterwards. He didn't blame the 12.30 kickoff, did he? I mean, that's what they <laughs> usually do. I don't think he did. I don't <laughs> they think... weren't travelling in midweek, no. so you know, they can't I don't get think away with that. Them. Graham Potter, I mean, look, he goes on these runs, doesn't he? And we, don't, we give them a bit of stick when they don't score enough goals. But um, it, you know, with the players that they've got, the budget they've got, the club that they are, they're bound to not be consistent every single week but the coaching is absolutely terrific isn't it and away from home their form has been superb but the Amex things haven't been as good this year but tactically in this game they were absolutely excellent Basuma was brilliant Kane being stopped the supply lines being blocked Kane managed to touch the ball just 27 times in the whole game and you have to credit Graham Potter for that and it's not an isolated incident because of course he did it before in North London against Arsenal. They got a point against uh, Liverpool at Anfield. Maybe should have won that day. Twice they've been unlucky to come out on the losing side um, against Manchester United in, in recent months. So credit to him. I'm pleased with him because he does get a lot of stick. Where they seem to struggle is the games you expect them to win. Norwich at home and a nil-nil draw. But up against the big guns, I think he's, he's the type of manager that if you're Pep Guardiola, you're Jurgen Klopp, you're Antonio Conte, you think, oh no, not him again. Yeah, and Pep Guardiola, I'm sure we'll be thinking about that ahead of Tuesday night's game, which is live on TalkSport. Have I mentioned that? Um, uh, Brighton becoming the first team since Hull City in 2008-2009 to win consecutive away matches at Arsenal and Spurs. That's a rubbish stat. Why? Because how many times have a team played Arsenal and Tottenham in back-to-back away games? It's probably just Hull City in 2008, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. It's now four defeats in five for Arsenal after Southampton bounced back from the thrashing by Chelsea in some style and wrecking Arsenal's top four hopes even further. Uh, Because having seen Spurs lose at lunchtime, they should have capitalised. They should have got the job done. What does that say about their levels of concentration? Um, Well, I think they had chances. Um, well, they had a lot of chances, but what does it say about the mentality they just didn't get the job done? Well, we questioned Arsenal's mentality for a while. Um, and again, I remember a few weeks ago when, when everybody was saying they were favourites for the top four, I, I did suggest on this podcast that it would be a different type of pressure now for a young side. Obviously, they've picked up one or two injuries. My sympathy is diluted when you look at the fact they trimmed their squad in January without bringing anybody in. I thought Arsenal would win yesterday until I saw that Eddie Nketiah was leading the line up front and I thought, well, this could be problems because it, you, you can't qualify for the Champions League with Eddie Nketiah. Well, it's interesting you say that and we'll talk about the Lacazette thing in just a second because, I mean, first of all, we should credit Saints. They switched to a back five. They were humiliated a week ago. They invited a bit of pressure from Arsenal as a result of switching to that back five. 76% possession for Arsenal. Mm. They had 23 attempts at go. But, Enketia leading the line, he didn't have too many opportunities himself. And when he did set up one for Bukayo Saka, which was a great chance earlier on, Fraser Forster 
was in terrific form and he was in terrific form all afternoon yeah he was uh, Saints man of the match for the second game running the difference was that last time he picked up that accolade he conceded six goals this time he got his clean sheet um, he's out of contract in the summer we, we asked Ralph Hasenhutl about that in his pre-match press conference he was a bit cagey actually because he is one of their top earners and I think it's a, it's a big decision for Saints I think they expected him to leave this summer but the form that he's been in since replacing Alex McCarthy uh, has given them a bit of a dilemma but he, he was terrific and I think Ralph Hasenhutl said afterwards I don't like to park the bus but I kind of did today yeah. and, and Arsenal couldn't find a way through and uh, I think it's a problem um, for Arsenal now for the rest of the season I think their confidence looks quite low I think Aaron Ramsdale possibly could have done better for the winning goal to be honest you don't want to be beaten uh, it wasn't the only one post. though was it it was a calamity of errors wasn't it it, it was a lot of lack of concentration amongst the whole of the back line a back line which has been pushed and pulled and has wilted quite a lot recently. Yeah, and again, they, they, they missed Tierney, you know, not just um, in terms of him being one of the best left-backs in the league, but in terms of his leadership and the, the, the character that he brings to the dressing room. Obviously, it's Manchester United next for them. That, that's a huge game. I don't think United have got any chance of, of finishing the top four because they're terrible. Well, but we'll if, they, if, they were to, if they were to beat Arsenal... All of a sudden, it's no longer in Arsenal's hands. No, of course it's not. And um, you mentioned about the Enketia thing and why... It was always going to be a problem if he was leading the line. But actually, it's not as if Lacazette scores a lot of goals either, to be honest with you. Mm. But what he does do is he links the play really well. And he drops deep into that sort of number 10 position, that half 10 position, and then brings the others, the wing players, into play. Um, But I don't understand something. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. But the whole Lacazette thing, why was Arteta ambiguous in the pre-match press conference about why he didn't train? He obviously had COVID. They released it to everybody on the day of the game. But by sort of being a bit sort of cloudy about it in the pre-match stuff, everyone started asking questions. Oh, has he fallen out with them? Mm. Has he got a longer-term injuries? Is there a bigger issue? If you're clearer with it, I mean, I know it's sort of like medical diagnosis and stuff like that, but surely you either don't say anything or you give the full picture. And they have been one of the clubs, Arsenal, who are quite open about players coming down with COVID. I remember going there against Manchester City on uh, Well, you say that, New but they did, it, they did it on the opening day of the season. Do you remember? Against ahead Brentford. of the Brentford. Yeah. They said, uh, or basically just didn't include Aubameyang and Lacazette and nobody knew why. Yeah. Well, when I, when I went there in Manchester... When I went there against Manchester City on New Year's Day, they gave me a list of players uh, who were ruled out by COVID. So it seemed their stance had changed, but maybe not, judging on Arteta's latest comments. But you're right, it does invite conjecture, it invites speculation. And he did do that before, as you say, with Aubameyang. Is this a case of Arteta just trying to flex his muscles? I don't know, but it's a strange game to be playing on the eve of such an important game, inviting speculation that you may have had another fallout with one of your senior players. Uh, Victory for Saints ended a five-match winless league run to boost their aspirations of a top-half finish. And Arsenal have lost three games on the bounce now for the first time since those first three games of the season. Let's get to our favourite subject, Manchester United. Well, I say favourite subject. I mean, that's probably a bit strong. It's just my favourite subject to get you on, to be honest with you. Protests outside the ground a degree of apathy and empty seats inside the stadium Good. youngsters on the bench a struggle to get rid of a Norwich side who played with a bit of uncharacteristic freedom and they could have taken the lead early doors it finishes 3-2 but you know you are in trouble when you are slugging it out goal for goal with a team that have won five Premier League games all season my mate who went to the game said to me at times United were, were a ramshackled outfit they looked like a Sunday league team and I think there were chance at Old Trafford of you're not fit to wear the shirt. I can't remember too many occasions, if ever, where that kind of chant has, has come out at Old Trafford. Paul Pogba was jeered off as he was replaced. And I do think Ralph Rannick is, is, is inviting his own problems because Paul Pogba is leaving the football club this summer. I don't buy into the reports that they're going to offer him half a million pound a week to stay. If they do that, they're even more stupid than we already think they have been. And I don't think they're quite that stupid. So I think that's a red herring. I don't understand why you're still using players who aren't going to be part of the long-term future of the club. Nemanja Matic comes on in the second half after announcing his departure at five o'clock the evening before a game. I mean, why did he do that, Nemanja Matic? There's so much wrong with Manchester United. That just sort of indicates that all's not particularly well-oiled behind the scenes again, doesn't it? Because there's no way that Manchester United would have 
come up with a choreographed announcement at five o'clock on a Friday. That wouldn't have happened. That, no. they, they would have certainly have thought about a better way of handling that departure rather than allowing him to Instagram it himself. It suggests that he feels a bit aggrieved yeah. by the decision and, and the way it's been handled. So again, it suggests more problems in the dressing room one matter seems to be the go-to option at the moment when United are in trouble and, and struggling to close out games, having not featured for much of the season. He won't be there next year either. So again, it was a, it was a performance that certainly gave us more questions than answers. And it did get me thinking because Ronaldo's taken a lot of stick. I thought his, his actions after the Everton game when he smashed the mobile phone were petulant. I think he's caused problems at times. But he's scored 20 goals now. In a, in a terrible team. And if you look at the, the, the good moments that Manchester United have had this season, and that free-kick winner goes into that category, almost all of them have come from Ronaldo. So I'm not buying into that he, he's the problem. If it wasn't for him and David De Gea, United, well, United would, be, would be on the cusp of the relegation places. Well, I was going to say to you, I mean, pressing up high in opposition territory has been the theme of the weekend because of what happened at Wembley. Um, Alanga nicking it off Gibson with yeah. the, the, was the source of the first goal. I thought that was impressive from like Alanga. Ronaldo scored it. 20 goals or more now in 16 consecutive seasons. His 50th hat-trick. He is the story, isn't he? I mean, you struggle to think what they would have done without him. You say relegation places. I mean, that isn't as outlandish as maybe it sounds because he has been a, a massive source of inspiration. But I do think we should touch on the other end of the field because... Rantik said afterwards, we weren't aggressive enough in the tackle. Well, why not? Mm. Why not? What, what is going on that you're not getting them motivated to c- commit themselves to a proper, full-on, intense performance? Because the goal that Kieran Dow scored was schoolboy defending. Puki crosses it. Where is the left back? Where's the left back? Where's he gone? And then when you look at the goal that Puki scores, Alex Tellez... He's going in completely the wrong direction. He's going the wrong route towards his own goal. He's going back infield, leaving a massive amount of space for Puki to exploit. And it's a good finish, but crikey, it's terrible. The only saving grace was is that Norwich carried about as much threat as a cause yet. And when they did get a shot away, David De Gea once again saved United. And you mentioned it, you know, he's been brilliant this season again as well. Yeah, he has. Um, actually, I was commentating in Europe in midweek, the Leicester game with Matt Holland, and we were talking about how many United players from the current squad would you keep next season? And he struggled to get to five. I think I just about limped to five, but certainly De Gea... Um, but it will have to be more be than that. It was going to have to be more than that because they can't sign 10 players. Or even if they sign players, 10, the 15 wouldn't be enough. Um, but I think De Gea has a future. I actually think Lindelof did quite well when the game got tough in the second half. He was more of a leader than Harry Maguire was in that game. Fred has probably been the only player that has kicked on under Rangnick. I'm glad you highlighted Alanga because I thought that was impressive, the way that he forced uh, Gibson into that mistake for the first goal. And I think you do keep Ronaldo. You know, there's been, again, there's been some conjecture that Ten Hag maybe has already hinted to Ronaldo's camp that he isn't part of his long-term plans. This is the greatest goal scorer in the history of the game. If you have that weapon in your armoury, just find a way to build the team around him. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that would be the right thing to do if you're starting a new era, not building the team around him, because he's going to be 37, nearly 38 by the end of the next season. So I would have thought that there's probably a way of utilising him and, and, and sort of harnessing his, his influence without necessarily making him the central cog in the team. But, I mean, I think Ten Hag's got a lot of work to do <laughs> when he comes in. And, you know... The sooner he can get to work, I think the better because there's a, they need to seriously recruit a lot of players and they need to ship out a few as well. Well, they'll naturally ship out a few because a lot of them are out of contract. Why did Jesse Lingard come into the team at the weekend? What's the point in using him now when well, you've ignored him all season and he's leaving? Yeah, but, well, you think he's leaving, but you know, you, when the new manager comes in, maybe things will change because you can't go out and spend £400 million on rebuilding a total new squad from scratch, you are going to need to use some of the figures that are there as ballast for a squad, which next season, remember, you're going to have five substitutes in every single game. So the squad's probably going to have to be even bigger. I'd keep McTominay, I think. And um, I've not been overly enamoured with Varane, but as you pointed out excellently on uh, game day a few weeks ago, when he has been there to play alongside Maguire, United's defensive record is much better. So maybe there is a a partnership there, but he needs to stay fit and he's never stayed fit in recent years. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, And they probably should have known that before they signed him. Um, Okay. Others didn't win. They did win. 
does it change the picture? Because I sent you a text message on Saturday morning with a copy of uh, the uh, detailed Opta predictions, which suggested that Manchester United, ahead of the weekend, had a 1% <laughs> chance of finishing in the top four. That would have increased now, but it's Liverpool next on Tuesday. It's that meme, isn't it? So you're telling me there's a chance. Um, <laughs> it's the hope that kills you. Yeah, I haven't got much hope, to be honest. In fact, I'll probably avoid the Liverpool game on Tuesday. I'm hoping that I've got a, a pool match um, so that I don't have to sit and watch it because it's going to be Listen, a Listen, you've got away watch. with a lot this weekend. You were going to be a bin man, a bald bin man, <laughs> if Norwich had beaten Manchester United or even failed to... Uh, Manchester United have failed to beat them so you were one goal away from a serious life-changing weekend yeah and you know how intently I uh, listened to that game and how much I punched the air when Ronaldo scored that free <laughs> kick but they've got no chance against Liverpool let's be honest you know Liverpool riding the crest of a wave they've just put the, themselves into a, a cup final they're better than Manchester United in every area of the pitch if they come away with a 2-0 defeat I think they'll be quite pleased well Talking of defeats and teams that uh, have hope and don't have hope, I think Watford's hope was crushed in the last minute of their game against Brentford. I'm not sure they had much hope anyway, but their already slim survival chances took a real heavy blow when Pontus Janssen scored a last gasp winner for Brentford away at Vicarage Road uh, at the weekend. The Hornets have started the game six points from safety. They needed something from this game. They went 1-0 down, equalised to 1-1, and then once again, their defensive frailties were exposed. In fact, their, their defensive problems exposed all afternoon, and records have tumbled during this game. Um, ten home defeats in a row for the Hornets. Watford have equaled the record for the longest wait for a clean sheet at home, with 21 games since their last in the Premier League. A memorable 3-0 win against Liverpool. Uh, seems a very long time ago now. They've got seven points from the last 16 home games. Why do they not like being at Vicarage Road? Well, more to the point, how many points has Roy Hodgson picked up since he got there? And we know that the, uh, the Pozzo family are not renowned for their patience. I'm slightly surprised he's still in situ, to be honest, because that appointment just hasn't worked. He, he was brought in to... It's not his fault, is it? I mean, the recruitment's been dreadful. Yeah, the, the players they signed in January are not fit for purpose, but you do... You, you look at the teams who are going down into the championship and, and in terms of bouncing back, um, Norwich, you think, will be there or thereabouts next season because it's their model to come up, not do particularly well and then rebuild and then romp to the t championship the next season. So I don't necessarily think it will be as easy as that next year, although with Dean Smith, at least they've got a very good manager. Yeah. But can you make a case for Watford coming straight back up? Because no. you mentioned the January signings. I think someone will take a punt on Ishmael Assar, although his form in the second half of the season yeah, hasn't been poor. great. Who else have they got in terms of if they're going to sell somebody and raise some money to rebuild the squad? Who would the manager be? Maybe Sean Dyche. Now, that might seem fanciful because I was with a Watford fan at Bournemouth on Saturday and she said, well, we've sacked him once already. And I said, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he won't be reappointed. In fact, it means there's probably a high chance he will be reappointed. I think he's the type of manager uh, that they'll need to get them out of the championship next season. It's not a great career move, though, is it, going to Watford? I mean, it's only the desperate or the, the, the ones who are, are looking for a foothold in the English game that go to Watford because they know that the tenure is so short. That's why I'm still surprised that Roy Hodgson took the plunge back into management. I know he, he didn't want to retire, but is this really how he wants to bow out, how he wants to be remembered with a limp exit into I the championship? It will be the, the case, I'm afraid. Um, just on managers, and we've already spoken about Burnley's game earlier in the podcast with Darren, but let's just, just reflect on the, the Sean Dyche sacking. And Do you know, have you got any information? I've spoken to Sam Allardyce this weekend. He says he hasn't been approached. I'm not sure anybody's been approached. Um, from what I'm told, it was quite a, a knee-jerk reaction uh, as late as Friday. As you know, I got a text message from a contact around about 9.45 on Friday morning, about 45 minutes before the news officially broke that Sean Dyche had been relieved of his duties. And we struggled to believe it was true just because of the yeah. timing. Uh, they well, we were chasing it up. You know, obviously, you, you were desperate to get a second source on it, weren't you, beforehand? Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it was difficult to stand it up because... Everyone was so shocked and no one really thought that they would do it at this stage. No, and I think he was shocked as well. He was planning for that game against West Ham, going about his business as usual, and all of a sudden he got the dreaded tap on the shoulder and he was out the door. I think it's a strange decision. You know, it happened with Watford last season when they fired Nigel Pearson around about the same sort of time. Rumours of bust-ups in the training ground. That pretty much 
consign them to the championship. I think it will be a similar story with Burnley. I don't know who's going to come in. I don't think they have a plan, hence the fact that Big Sam hasn't been approached yet. I think it probably will be that type of firefighting character. But the whole club is a mess, and we've alluded to this on the podcast uh, on a few occasions. Simon Jordan spoke very well about it on White and Jordan on Friday when Alan Pace came in and took uh, custody of the football club. He said, you've never seen an owner like me before. What, one with no money? Because, you know, they've not invested in the first team. You, you look at the 11 that took the pitch in the game I commentated last week against uh, careful, Norwich. Careful, I've been saying this for about a year and I keep getting trolled by Burnley fans as a result of it. And I've still got my Burnley coat. Well, much, much of that squad has, has been there for a number of years now. It, it needs an overhaul. Okay. Not, there's no worry about it having an overhaul. Most of them are leaving in the summer. And that's another problem because they're two best players, really. Uh, me and Tarkovsky have been allowed to run down their contracts so they won't make any money out of them. Yep. They obviously got the release clause for Chris Wood. Dwight McNeil a year ago would probably have commanded a high fee in the transfer market. His stats this season are abysmal. Nick Pope will get a club. He might well go to Newcastle and they'll get some money for him. But apart from that, where again is the revenue coming from to give whoever comes in next season the tools to get them back in the Premier League? I I think Burnley might well head in the opposite direction and be more worried about League One than getting back in the Premier League. I'm sure that that will be coming into their mind because parachute payments obviously will help them next year and the year afterwards. But they are not going to bounce back, straight back up, I don't think, if they go down to the uh, championship, when they go down into the championship. Um, I spoke to one of the players in the dressing room over the weekend and actually he said it's not a surprise because I think they felt that it was coming to an end with Sean Dyche, but the, the timing was really odd. Yeah. So I think that the feeling was he was going to move on at some stage, but I don't think there was... Two days before a game. Yeah, I don't think the expectation was it was going to happen this weekend, that's for sure. Right, well, maybe by the time we speak to you again on Thursday, uh, Burnley will have another new manager, um, the first one in in over a decade. Um, Maybe they won't. Maybe Michael Jackson will end up taking them uh, on a bit of a thriller ride till the end of the season. Uh, We'll see you on Thursday to preview all the weekend's action and look back at some of the big midweek stories as well. We've got live commentary on Wednesday night on TalkSport of Manchester City against Brighton. I'll be at Liverpool Manchester United with Adrian on Tuesday night as well as the season hots up. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.